Hey everybody, welcome to the Going For Two podcast. Um, this podcast is hosted by myself, Logan Sartain, and my co-host, Ben Cobb. Ben, I don't know about you, but this side of the, the hosting team uh, not only has or plays fantasy football, but I have football fantasies. How about you? Yeah, no, I, I definitely have football fantasies, but I'm also having football realities because football, believe it or not, Praise is back. Praise God. Amen. Praise hands emoji. It's back. It is back. It's in action. In fact, we've even got a game tonight. <laughs> we've got the Browns yep. and the Bengals uh, playing tonight. And it's a game that intrigues mm-hmm. me, um, but it also was would not have been a game five years ago that I probably would even given any thought about whatsoever. It's amazing how times can change. Yeah. It's, it's something that, you know, we're so starved for content for football that, yeah, I intend to watch this game intently. Um, But also there is, there's, there's some storylines tonight that are going to be very, very interesting. You know, can uh, Baker had a disappointing uh, week one, uh, Odo Beckham is reportedly on and off the trade block. Who's going to trade for him? Who's is he really going to be traded? And then there's Joe Burrow in um, in his second NFL career start. Um, mm-hmm. Didn't look too bad against the Chargers, but didn't get the win against a, a depleted and different Chargers organization um, last week either. So it will be interesting for sure. And it was um, really interesting to see the uh, Chargers have to face that Bengals team. Uh, it wasn't a great game, to be honest. The Bengals uh, lost 13-16, to but we'll see if Joe Burrow can improve things tonight. And I think he can going against uh, Baker Mayfield, who I actually am going to talk about later in this episode. But discussing all things week one, you know, I know you and I, Logan, could sit for hours and hours on this podcast and, uh, you know, go through game by game what was good, what was bad, what was ugly, what was pretty. But I also think our listeners and our podcast probably want to get a whole lot of hits if this was a seven-hour episode. <laughs> so for the sake of our listeners, I wanted us to just break it down and for us to pick either a team or a player <laughs> from week one and one of those, either a team or player that – overperformed so played better than you had expected or underperformed and played worse than you had than uh than you expected so i'm interested to hear let's start let's start with the uh under who underwhelmed on sunday slash thursday slash monday for you Logan? so we're going with the bad news first and this one to me hits close to home um you might say it's an overreaction you might say you know, it's just one week, but underperforming in week one is Mike McCarthy and the Dallas Cowboys for me. Wow. Um, Going with a coach. Yeah. I'm, I like it. I'm singling out the coach because that's what, you know, me and thousands of other Cowboys fans have been banking on that that was our problem, right? You know, Jason Garrett was the problem, right? We want to believe that Dak is a franchise quarterback and can lead us to the Super Bowl. But, you know, we had the same Dak. We have a very similar offensive line. We have 
even more weapons. We have the similar pieces on defense. The part that changed out is Mike McCarthy for Jason Garrett. And I'm going to single down to a, a – I'm going to narrow down to a single play, and it was the mm-hmm. the fourth and three near the goal line for the Cowboys where Mike McCarthy chose to go for it. I don't disagree with the play call. Um, I don't disagree um, with the decision to go for it. But where I am most underwhelmed was by – C.D. Lamb running that route short of the sticks. Um, mm. As an offensive-minded person, as a, a um, someone who was trained in the ways of the spread offense, you know that is that's one of the things that you you're taught you're taught very early on. You know when you're in a short yardage situation and you bend your route to get to the sticks, and mm-hmm. that's. Honestly, that's a rookie mistake, and I see that C.D. Lamb is a rookie. I know that we can't expect, you know, incredible things from him, but I don't put it on him. I put I put that on Mike McCarthy and that offensive staff that if they were mm-hmm. coached up in the way that they should have been, you don't make those mistakes. If you're a rookie or if you're a 10-year veteran, um, you run that route to the depth that gets you the first down. That's ingrained in your head. And it was obviously not for them. Uh, another rookie on the other side of the ball, Jordan Fuller, comes and makes an excellent play, um, stopping the Cowboys from getting a first down. And, uh, you know, the rest is history. Um, on a larger scale, I'm under, I was underwhelmed by Mike McCarthy's um, offense in this game uh, because, he, you know, he preached that he was – you know, so analytically driven and so, um, you know, reinvigorated on the offensive side and that there was there was going to be change. There was going to be splash. There was going to be excitement. And what did the Cowboys score? 17 points, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. week one, underperforming team, coach, Mike McCarthy, Dallas Cowboys. Okay. Well, I like that you switched it up a little bit. You know, I was thinking of going a a player route and you took the coach. I like that a lot. You know, definitely the Cowboys underperformed. And I think if there was any coach out there uh, who did not coach a very good game and their team definitely underperformed, it would have been the Cowboys. Although if you went a few miles south of Dallas, I wouldn't blame you for picking Bill O'Brien and the Texans as well. Mm -hmm. They looked really, really rough. Yes, they did go against Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs who looked amazing on Thursday night. But at the same time, Bill O'Brien did not have his team prepared to play. Deshaun Watson looked lost without his weapons. I won't dive into that game too much, but I also think he was another coach in the state of Texas that underwhelmed. So all that to say, you know, there are coaches and then there are players. And the closest thing to a coach as a player is which position? The quarterback. Mm -hmm. So... I don't want to beat a dead horse because this has been talked on, uh, this has been talked about and just about every sports show that there is um, covering Sunday's games. Um, but my player that underperformed was Baker Mayfield. Mm. Baker, he went against a really, really good and talented Ravens team. So I'll put that, you know, I'll add the, the caveats and the benefits of the doubts first. 
but he just was not, you know, I, I'm not even going to say he wasn't himself because he was himself, you know? So uh, just to give a, a quick summary, Baker, you know, this is his third year in the league. He came in and had a really good rookie season. He threw for 27 touchdowns. Um, he had 14 interceptions. So it's a little bit more interceptions that you'd like to see, but still not a bad touchdown to interception ratio. And then last year, that's when things started to go downhill a little bit. Uh, he had 22 to 21 touchdown to interception ratio. So about the same ratio as Jameis Winston, uh, who put up about 12 more um, touchdowns, or I think about 10 or so. I think it was 30 for 30, if that's right. But uh, so I guess about eight more touchdowns than Baker Mayfield. But he also put up about nine more interceptions. So Baker Mayfield's from a touchdown to interception ratio statistic last year was the same as Jameis Winston's. And look where Jameis is now. He's a backup with no possibility of starting unless Drew Brees goes down. And Baker seems to have a good hold on that position for now. And then he comes into this season. People are thinking, well, are we going to get rookie uh, college style Baker Mayfield or are we going to get 2019 Baker Mayfield? And he came in. They had six points. Uh, he had one touchdown, one interception, keeping true to that ratio that he's had over the past year. Not even He didn't even break 100 or 200 yards in passing. Um, he had a completion percentage of, of less than 54%. Overall QB rating is 65. So he really did not play well against a, a good and talented Ravens team. But that's not the, the, a good excuse because they're going to have to play the Ravens again in the season. Mm-hmm. So, and there are a lot of good teams out there. So Baker, everybody would come into this, you know, he was a big question mark coming into the season. What Baker will we get? And unfortunately, I think we're seeing the true Baker Mayfield. And it wouldn't surprise me if he was benched before the end of the season, to be honest. Wow. Well, that's, that's bold. And uh, tonight's result is going to go a long way in deciding if he will or if he won't continue to be the quarterback of the um, always downtrod Cleveland Browns. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I like to get the bad news out of the way first so that we can transition into the good news and have a good segue into our next topic. So let's discuss who overperformed, who came in to Sunday slash Monday slash Thursday and played above a level that you expected them to. Yeah. I'm going to go with the Seattle Seahawks and maybe I'm cheating a little bit, but I've got to give a game ball to the offensive, an offensive player and a defensive player. And those guys have got to be Russell Wilson and Jamal Adams, you know, Mm -hmm. right out the gate. Uh, you might have heard of the movement, hashtag let Russ cook, and they let Russ cook. Like, he <laughs> actually, you know, let it rip. I think he had four touchdown passes. Yep. Mm-hmm. He had an MVP-level game. And, uh, you know, I think I've been on the Russell Wilson bandwagon for a long time. I think he's probably in the top three quarterbacks in the league. And I think he has been for, for you know, a few years now. Um, yeah, I, I'm a huge fan. I think that his game is exactly representative of where the league is going. And the fact that mm-hmm. he's had so many late game comebacks is, it just goes to prove it, you know. And if they actually let him, 
um, loose, you know, in the first three quarters, there's no doubt he's going to have an MB, MVP caliber year. On the other side of the ball, we've got uh, Jamal Adams, who had something like 15 tackles, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, tweeted at um, Greg Williams saying, you know, no, I wasn't bored, <laughs> wasn't bored in this defense. <laughs> and, you know, winning games usually isn't boring. So um, I can't fault anyone for wanting to get out of the New York Jets organization. So that okay. that is my, you know, maybe cheated a little bit take on who overperformed in week one. Yeah, well, I, you know, I'm totally fine with that pick because – if you remember from last week before the NFL season kicked off, literally about like, I guess it was, t- well, I don't remember when we recorded the episode, but it was maybe a day or so before uh, the NFL kicked off on Thursday. I had said my pick for the Super Bowl was the Seahawks. Mm-hmm. And so now hearing you wax poetically about how great the Seahawks played on Sunday, I'm like, all right, this is great. This is perfect trajectory. And I was on, I was justifying Jamal Adams and the trade that the Seahawks made. And to be honest with you, um, I was kind of doubling down when I made that because I was, I was doubting myself. I was like, was this really a good trade or not? So now I'm just like able to kind of dig my feet in further and say like, yeah, I never doubted myself. This was a, it was a great trade. Jamal Adams um, was a great acquisition for them, regardless of, of all the first round draft picks that they gave up to get them. So as long as they keep playing like that, you can talk about them all you want. <laughs> yeah, it was a, uh... It was a good performance to start out the season for the Seahawks, for sure. Definitely. Yeah, and so my overperforming player uh, is actually quite similar to yours in that they transitioned from uh, a team uh, in a big move in the offseason. They were an AFC team going to an NFC team, going to an NFC West team, mind you, with a great quarterback. And that is DeAndre Hopkins going to the Cardinals and his game that he had on Sunday against the 49ers. Uh, he, he had a monstrous game and a lot of mm-hmm. people were wondering, and we, I think we definitely saw this reflected in fantasy, um, at least in some leagues, people were scared of DeAndre Hopkins and thinking, well, you know, Kyler Murray is a good quarterback, but is he as good as Deshaun Watson and how will DeAndre Hopkins interact in an offense with a Larry Fitzgerald and a Christian Kirk and, you know, who already, you know, and uh, Andy Isabella, who already have um, a good reign on that system and eat up a lot of Kyler Murray's passes. You know, how will Nuke fit into that? And he fit in fantastically on Sunday. He had 14 receptions, 151 yards, um, and a, uh, I believe he scored a touchdown as well. Um, so, you know, he, he was a fantastic um, pick for anyone who picked him in fantasy. Um, and he also really proved the Texans wrong. You know, he tweeted out something like hashtag blessed or something like that. Or I think it was, it was grateful. I think it was hashtag grateful. And like, uh, I think it was Blazer report that was like, Ooh, look at Deandre Hopkins cryptic tweet saying hashtag grateful. What's he saying? Is this a dig to the Texans? I'm like, of course it's a dig to the Texans. Like (laughs) they, they got killed on Thursday night. And then he did this on Sunday. Like, of course, that's a dig to the Texans. So, um, you know, and I mean, honestly, if you asked me if he put up, would he put up these kinds of stats? I thought he would be great. Um, I thought he would come in and and more or less replicate what he was able to do in Houston. But I wouldn't have said he would have put up these kinds of, like, 14 receptions 
Uh, it, that that number is just staggering. And so for him to be able to do this against, mind you, the 49ers, who are they were a Super Bowl caliber defense last year. So it was really, really um, impressive what he was able to do. And, you know, based off of your pick and my pick, it looks like the NFC West might be the toughest division in the NFL this year. Oh, hands down. I mean, you thought that the Rams might have been down and then they come out and and beat the Cowboys. Not in a super yep. impressive fashion, but they've got a stable of backs that's looking pretty good. They've got Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald wrecking havoc and, you know, faking pass interference calls, but that's beside the point. <laughs> and, yeah, how – how were you supposed to compete with the Super Bowl runner-up and the upcoming Cardinals? I, I don't know. That that division yeah. is crazy. It really is. Yeah, especially with the trajectory of Kyler Murray coming in. I think Kyler Murray is going to do what people thought Baker Mayfield was going to do. He's going to come into his second year and have a sophomore rise, not a sophomore slump. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely think that. And they – you know, they did what they needed to do and got him weapons. And mm-hmm. um, they've also offered him uh, stability, which the Browns have never offered anyone. So there's uh, there's something to be said for that as well. Certainly, certainly. All right, awesome. Well, I think that was a fantastic recap. Uh, we were able to somehow touch on a whole lot of the NFL um, in that small amount of time. So, I know uh, you and I are both going to be sitting in front of the TV tonight seeing if Baker is able to um, silence the haters like me, prove us wrong, and go against Joe Burr. You know, I was thinking, I will say this before we jump into our next segment. I was thinking, if Joe Burrow's not careful, he's going to find himself in a Baker-like trajectory because Baker and Joe Burrow, obviously first-round draft picks, amazing years in college before they – uh, went to the NFL, and they went to teams that were more or less in really poor positions, both personnel-wise, because the Browns didn't have all those plays before Baker, Baker came, mm-hmm. um, and then and also front office and coaching-wise. And what does Baker do? Well, he comes in, and he has a really good rookie year, but he also brings a whole lot of more or less cockiness to the table. Some would say confidence. Some would say cockiness. Some would say it's okay. And I think it's okay when you're producing, but you know, I don't know what's happening behind the scenes, but I hope that Baker's, you know, realizing that he has work to do. Right. Um, And if Burrow, Burrow is a guy that has just as much confidence coming into the NFL as Baker. Like, I don't know if you've ever heard him chat about like, you know, his confidence and everything. Uh, But he's, he's a very, very confident guy. And, you know, he needs to just be aware that, it doesn't really matter how good you are coming into the NFL, as Baker proved. You can still uh, have slumps like Baker showing in his second and third year. So Joe Burrow might be in a same position uh, as Baker Mayfield in a few years, but only time will tell on that one. That's a good point for sure. Um, I don't know if it's the fact that he actually won the national championship that makes me more okay with it than I am with Baker. Maybe it's because he's – you know, from LSU and I hate everything from Oklahoma. I, I don't know, but <laughs> I, I don't have the, I don't know, the disdain for Joe Burrow that I had for Baker Mayfield. And when in a lot of ways, you're right, they have similar stories this, thus far, you know, kind of meteoric rises um, through college football 
from being walk-ons and being cut and transfers. And, you know, it's uh, pretty impressive what each of them has been able to do at least up to getting the first pick overall. And it will be on both of them to continue the work it takes to, to be a, uh, you know, even a serviceable starter in the league. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's going to be fun to watch. Um, but speaking of fun, we're going to transition a little bit out of uh, talking about week one and transition into talking about more the entirety of the NFL season as we pick. I feel like we need some like super cool music for this. But, you know, there, yeah, there it is. Thanks. There we go. Thank you, Logan. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, by the way, we got some um, a couple of our Going for Two fans uh, texted me and said they really, really like our intro music. And so that is a big shout out to Logan who picks our intro music. So Logan, awesome, awesome job. Awesome job. And awesome job on that music. So without further ado, we are going to transition into our ultimate team. Ultimate Logan, team, do you want to give us a rundown? Team, ultimate team. <laughs> nah, yeah, love it. See, we don't have to pay for that fancy equipment. No. We got it here. <laughs> <laughs> so the ultimate team, the idea behind this is that Ben and I are both going to um, take a step back in time to where, you know, when you played Madden with your friends and you, you know, you made your own logo and you picked all the perfect 99 players in the league and put them all on your team. We're assembling our own versions of that, and we're going to, you know, put it out there and see what our listeners think, you know, about the differences in our teams. Obviously, we'll have some of the same players, uh, but we're definitely going to have a little bit of disagreement. We may even have some disagreement on how we construct our 22-man rosters. Today, we're going to start with the offense and – I'll go ahead and kick us off and I'll run down my 11 offensive starters. So awesome. I thought about really and truly Ben. there's only two options for quarterback, right? Yeah. Yeah. You're right. You're right. I think, I think it's, we'll see if our, I know our one option is the same. Let's see if. Our <laughs> so I really thought about thought hard about being contrarian and picking Lamar Jackson as my quarterback. But I couldn't okay. do it. I couldn't do it. I'm going with Patrick Mahomes. I think that he's on the path to become the greatest NFL player of all time. So how can you pick against that? So I, sure. I'm going Patrick Mahomes as my running back, going with Derrick Henry. That may be a surprise, and I'll give a little more context in a little bit as I fill out my roster. Mm-hmm. Uh, receivers, I'm picking three receivers, calling them two wideouts and one slot receiver. So my wideouts are Michael Thomas and Julio Jones, and my slot receiver is Tyreek Hill. Uh, tight end, okay. I'm going with George Kittle. Offensive lineman, left tackle, Ronnie Stanley, left guard, Quentin Nelson, center, Jason Kelsey, right guard, Zach Martin, right tackle, Lane Johnson. And that rounds out my offense. All right. Awesome. I love it. Um, I would have also accepted 
Russell Wilson as oh. the alternate quarterback to Mahomes. Okay. Um, okay. But yeah. But but you know I can't I can't necessarily argue. Um, yeah. I mean I think your team is stacked. So I'll discuss my offense. We'll see sort of where we have similarities mm-hmm. and where we have some discrepancies and go from there. So I definitely agree with you on the QB front. I've got Texas Tech Red Raider Patrick Mahomes uh, leading the front. And the way, just to give some background, the way that I sort of oriented my team was that I thought about uh, the ultimate team for sort of this season. Um, and so that kind of impacted my decision okay. with some, some of the injuries and things like that. Uh, it will be largely relevant for, you know, the next two or three or four seasons. Um, but I'm just throwing that out there as well. So uh, my running back, uh, Christian McCaffrey, also known mm. as Run CMC. Uh, I also have another running back. So I'm doing a two running back type okay. uh, offense. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott. All right. The wide receivers, DeAndre Hopkins, uh, Nuke, who I just talked about, Julio Jones, hoping he stays healthy. When he does, he performs majorly. And then maybe the sleeper, I might get some flack for this, but Devontae Adams. Devontae Adams uh, was the true number one last year, obviously. Had a great game on uh, Sunday with, I believe he scored two touchdowns. Um, And, you know, I'm thinking about, People like uh, Michael Thomas, who a lot of people say he's the very best wide receiver on in the NFL, and I didn't leave him off, leave him on my roster. Um, and that's sort of a combination between uh, you know him sort of having you know he 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 had good years, mm-hmm. but last year was his first like I am the most dominant player in the game kind of year. And the fact that he didn't have that same year the the previous two years. Uh, worries me a little bit. So I guess all that to all that rambling to sort of say, I don't know if he'll be able to replicate his performance is what I'm getting at. Uh, and then the second thing is he's banged up a little bit. Um, right. So that, that does worry me. Um, tight end. Uh, Mark Andrews is wow. my tight end. Lamar Jackson loves him some Mark Andrews. That's for sure. He scored twice as many touchdowns as um, I believe it was – uh, George Kittle last year. George Kittle had five and Travis Kelsey had six, or I might be flipping those, but it was five and six in some fashion. Mark Andrews, 10 touchdowns. And so I was watching uh, this Sunday to see if Lamar Jackson was going to keep targeting, and he sure did. And he got up, he got another touchdown. So, I mean, it's just like a touchdown machine. And I know when you're like, especially with fantasy, that's kind of the fallacy that it's like, oh, he had a really great season last year. And if one of the red flags is he scored a bunch of touchdowns uh, because it's hard to reproduce and yards are more, you know, um, easy to come by than touchdowns. But at the same time, he's looking great. Lamar Jackson loves him. He scored on Sunday. So I'm going to go with him for the next year. Um, So I will not neglect the offensive line. I'll run through them and then I'll discuss a little bit further with you. But I would like to hear some of your justifications on your team before I dive in. Um, on my justifications, but rounding out my team. I've got Quentin Nelson as well at the guard position. I've got Rodney Hudson of the Las Vegas Raiders as my center. Good old Mitchell Schwartz joining his teammate Pat Mahomes at tackle position. Tyrone Smith from your state at left tackle. 
and Joe Tooney, the pride of <laughs> North Carolina State University, uh, and uh, former Going For Two guests, uh, LinkedIn um, friend. Oh, wow. That's yeah, big. He's, he's friends. He requested Kyle the night before the Super Bowl on LinkedIn. So I don't know. It, perhaps he was, it was one of those recurring requests. I don't know. And Kyle just didn't check it until that night. But at any rate, Kyle confirmed his friend request because they were in a class together, NC State. So uh, <laughs> that's the offensive line that I have got. So, yeah, we've got a, a few differences there. Um, I think we I think either of our teams would definitely qualify as uh, explosive. Would you agree with that, Ben? I would think so. <laughs> I, I think these teams would be able to uh, to win a couple of games if they were together this season. Okay. So we both picked Mahomes. No, yep. no real debate there. There's not really a, a great argument unless you're planning on doing something super QB run heavy um, to go anywhere else but Mahomes. Um, but running backs, tell me about why you went with Christian McCaffrey and Zeke. Yeah, so I think for the one of the biggest questions that we have to ask ourselves when we're figuring out our running back situation is the likelihood that they're going to be hurt. Um, and so if we could have a really talented running, and I, I was kind of toying with the idea of Saquon Barkley because he's just so talented, but he's mm-hmm. already dealing with some uh, injury issues this season going into week two. So that just puts a lot of alarm um, for me, for him. Um, and then, you know, CMC, he can just do it all. You know, he can really carry the load as a running back. Um, you have times last year when he was playing with people like Kyle Allen and backups from Cam while he was hurt. Um, and he was really just being able to carry the load because he can, he can also act as a slot receiver very easily as well. So you kind of get two for one punch and he's been healthy. So he's been able to produce, carry a team on his back and stay healthy. Um, and Zeke is largely the same. You know, I think what has impressed me about Ezekiel Elliott, uh, is just his, uh, ability to constantly perform. Now, does he have one of the best offensive lines in the NFL today? Yeah, he does. Although they have depreciated significantly over the years since he's been there uh, with some injuries and some of those key linemen leaving. But Zeke's been able to perform at a very high level. He's been able to lead the league uh, in various rushing categories throughout his career, and he's stayed healthy. Um, the one thing that was concerned me a little bit is Zeke has had a really bad run-in with uh, suspensions, um, mm-hmm. actually, and you know, and so it's it's odd that that's my primary concern over injuries, but that probably would be, um, you know, and so to me, I look for consistency at a high level and ability to remain healthy. Um, so whereas I think so- for someone like you, I understand why you picked Derrick Henry because he had such a amazing year last year and you think that'll sustain and I don't necessarily disagree with you but for me personally I look at that kind of career uh aggregate uh rather than just a one one game season although I don't think that there's one way is better than the other it's just what I like to do personally with my teams and it's also how I largely draft for fantasy too because the last thing you want is one of your star players getting getting hurt exactly exactly so my main thing when I looked at um the running back position, I was looking at style and Mm -hmm. you may say, okay, that's kind of odd. You're pairing Patrick Mahomes, a 
kind of throw it all around the yard guy with with Derrick Henry, who's a ground and pound running back. But I really like the contrast in those styles and how they might be able to work together and complement each other. Just think about it. If you get three wide and even you take my tight end, uh, Kittle, George Kittle, and you split him out so you're at four wide and you've got essentially what you're, what you're looking at from a front seven point of view is you've probably only got four or you've probably only got five, maybe six guys in the box and you got to try to stop Derrick Henry coming downhill. Mm-hmm. Good luck with that. So that was my, my, my thought and how I landed on Derrick Henry over maybe Ezekiel Elliott or anybody like that. Um, going through last season, towards the end of the regular season, um, yes, Christian McCaffrey was the most productive running back in the league, but I really thought that Dalvin Cook was proving to be maybe the the best back in the league. Mm-hmm. And then through the playoffs, it was clear that mantle was taken by Derrick Henry as an unstoppable force. So that's that's where, you know, my justification for those guys. So we both had Julio Jones, and mm-hmm. we then had two other receivers different. So what is it about Julio that makes him the unanimous pick? I think that's kind of probably surprising to most of our listeners that that was the one that we both agreed on. Yeah, you know, he's been um, somebody who, it, it pains me to say, but he's been, you know, banged up from time to time. And so, like, it it sort of goes against my natural inclina- inclination to pick somebody who's been so banged up. Um, but you also have to take into consideration the high level of play that he's been able to, to sustain. Um, last year, he had six touchdowns. The year before that, he had eight touchdowns. Um, 2017 was a anomalous year where he only had three touchdowns, but before that, he had six, eight, six, two, ten, eight, going back to 2011. So he's just produced at a high level, and we know that touchdowns aren't the end-all, be-all, but his yards and his receptions mirror this as well. So his consistency um, has just been tremendously impressive um and i think you know he's one of those guys that you know if you need a touchdown you can throw it to him and he he will very likely jump in the air and pull it down you know he's just that great of a receiver um and he's also had quarterback consistency Mm -hmm. um which i think is something to note um you have other players in the league who uh, are good wide receivers but have had um, different quarterbacks throughout their careers with different teams that maybe aren't is not able are not able to live up to that sort of standard of top three top four and you look at all our receivers that we mentioned uh, I think just about every one of them um, with the exception of DeAndre Hopkins has played with this more or less the same quarterback throughout their career so um, that's true we'll see we'll see if Matt Ryan's able to do what he you know get back to the MVP form. I don't think he will be. You know, it's funny. I was doing some research for the show, a quick aside, and I, I was looking at, I Googled, like, best or uh, best performances from week one of the NFL, and, like, I went to the list, and I wasn't really, like, obviously looking at it much. I was sort of just, you know, glancing at it, 
And I was like, oh, Matt Ryan, like, cool. Oh, you know what? Maybe I'll put him in, in there. Um, and then something made me like do a double take. And then I realized it was a list from 2015. <laughs> and they yep, had like Peyton yep. Manning on it and all this. And I was like, oh my gosh. I... And then I looked <laughs> at his stat. I was like, oh, wow. Okay. Well, I'm glad that I uh, didn't include him. But I mean, even now, Julio went for nine receptions, 157 yards. Um, he didn't score, but I mean, that's a great game. Um, so I think that's, that's primarily the consistency. So I'm interested to hear, um, your rationale on Michael Thomas, cause he is one of those players that has played at a high level, especially last year. Um, but you know, his, uh, getting banged up a little bit, uh, does concern me to a small degree. So I'm interested to hear your take on why you think Michael Thomas, do you think he's the best wide receiver in the NFL, uh, or just good enough to make your roster? I, I claim him as the best receiver in the NFL. I think he's got the um, best combination of physical attributes and consistency. Um, yes, he's, he's playing with Drew Brees. But one thing that amazes me about Michael Thomas is what he's been able to do in that Saints offense. Because if you look historically, they don't often have a true – number one guy like mm-hmm. for the longest time Marquise Colston does that name ring a bell like <laughs> that's probably the first reference to him on the podcast because he was their lead receiver but he was just throw it to everybody whoever's yeah. open you know it, it, they don't play favorites but with Michael Thomas when you see Sean Payton change his offensive philosophy to we've got a guy who can't be covered <laughs> yeah I think that that is a, uh, I'm not going to say a red flag, but that's something to look at. That's a, you know, a, a sign that he is, he's something special. Um, so I do think he's the best. I, I don't weigh injuries as heavily as you do in, in this uh, practice, uh, in this uh, exercise. And so, yeah, I understand that he's, he's banged up right now. But, man, if I'm lining up with a healthy Michael Thomas and a healthy Julio Jones on the outside, um, it even picking from any corners in the league, you're going to have a hard time physically matching up with those two guys on the outside. And then, yeah, if you can, can you find anyone that can run with Tyreek Hill? Because uh, I, I don't know that. Yeah, I it, we're going to be looking for a while, I think, because that dude yeah. can go. Yeah, he really can. Well, they don't call him Cheetah for nothing. So tell me, why was it just injuries that led you away from Michael Thomas and led you to choose someone else? Or or was it Devontae Adams' play? Um, I would venture to say maybe that Adams is looking like the best receiver in the league this season. Mm-hmm. But that's, you know, a very small sample size um, and a a very limited receiving core that he's working with around him as well. Yeah, definitely. Well, you know, I think that's probably that the question that a lot of uh, people have, you know, how can you pick Devontae Adams over Michael Thomas? And um, but, you know, if you look at the statistics, um, you know, not factoring in this year because, you know, obviously it's only been one a game, but um, Michael Thomas, you know, he's had touchdowns of nine, nine and five going back to the past um, three seasons, excluding 
this past week. Um, and then Devontae Adams had two, five and 13. So mm. ar- you could arguably say that Devontae Adams peak is better than Michael Thomas's peak. Um, Devontae Adams had uh, has max. He had 111 receptions and at uh, Michael Thomas's max, um, he had 149 receptions. So, you know, all Oof. that to say, like, and you're looking at, um, and just to throw some more figures out there so that our listeners can make up their own mind, um, at his max, so it looks like just a really quick calculation, Michael Thomas, is, Michael Thomas averages more or less from when he came into the league um, about 1,400 yards a season. Uh, Devontae Adams is significantly less than that at um, quick averaging in my head from 2014 when he came in at season, it looks somewhere around, um, 800 or so. So a lot less, but he's able to produce from a touchdown perspective, um, at a higher level when we're talking about peak seasons. I don't think anyone would, I would not blame anyone at all for picking Michael Thomas over Devonta Adams. But it's sort of maybe more just the eye test for me. And I, I kind of hate that term because it is really a cop-out. And I don't think it's using good data analytics. But at the same time, it's true. Like, I think Michael Thomas is fantastic. But he wasn't super involved this past week. And he got banged up. That scares me for this year. Um, and really the banged up piece. And then what Devontae Adams did on Sunday, Sunday really uh, – shows me that he's he's ready to roll. And I think Aaron Rodgers is also very much ready to roll this season as well. Um, so I don't know. I know I'm using buzzwords and not great statistics to back it up. And perhaps that's just how I, and that's kind of how, honestly, I'm, that's kind of how I'm, I'm forming my fantasy team this year. I think like I have used data and analytics and stuff the past few years for my fantasy teams. And I have not like made it super far so I'm now I'm like thinking, I'm just like throwing those out. I'm like, all right, who am I going to pick? Who's good? Like, who do I think is good from like mm-hmm. a football mm-hmm. perspective? And so something just says Devonta Adams. But again, I can't fault anyone if they say Michael Thomas over Devonta Adams whatsoever. If you have either in your fantasy lineup, you're, you're starting them every week, they're healthy, and you're going to be happy with the results. There's very consistent, clear number ones in – systems that throw the ball so yeah i don't i don't think you can go wrong and new hopkins similar situation they're going to throw the ball all around the yard in that cliff kingsbury offense and uh, he can catch anything within about a 10 foot radius of him and it's (laughs) it's crazy physically i put him probably in a category below everyone else on this list i don't think he has the the speed or maybe even the vertical of some of these guys, but mm-hmm. superb route runner, probably the best hands in this group. And I think if you look at the guys that we picked, we've probably got your top receivers. I don't know that there's anyone else that you would put in, in this echelon of receivers in the league right now. Yeah, no, I agree. I think you're right. I think we hit the top receivers. Um, I'm interested to to discuss the offensive line because I you know I want to give them some love a little bit. We've got about uh, each of us picked about five of the uh, offensive linemen. I think the only O lineman we had overlapping was actually uh, Quentin Nelson, which I don't think anyone would pick 
any guard because you know if when you're forming your team you can pick two guards and mm-hmm. um you know Quentin Nelson could play he could play either position to be he could play left guard or right guard honestly and so I think Quentin Nelson would make every offensive lineman's um every everybody's team when they're forming an offensive line for their ultimate team so yeah I think we've got if you him. don't if mm-hmm. you don't pit Quentin Nelson you're wrong and you should stop <laughs> like that's all there is to it and you said talk about him as you know, be on a guard. Yeah, yeah. That, that is the position he plays. I would put him anywhere, you know, put, I would not. And this may be showing my ignorance of offensive line play and scheme and all of that, but you know, he is a force to be reckoned with and I would not be scared at all to line him up at right tackle as my road grader out there. Um, yeah. Probably wouldn't want him as my left tackle, um, being that pass protection probably isn't his strength, um, but left guard, center, right guard, or right tackle, I'm a okay with Quentin Nelson there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the Colts love to sort of play that that stretch game uh, as far as a, as far as running goes. With um, you know Marlon Mack before he got injured for the season, uh, Naheem Hines, they've got Jonathan Taylor, they've got speedy backs, and when you have a guard like Quentin Nelson who you can really utilize him for that pulling game. So I think, mm-hmm. you know, putting him in that position is, um, I mean, yeah, I agree. He'd be, he's, he's a fantastic player and he um, would serve any offensive line extremely well. Uh, you know, he, he actually let up zero um, sacks in 2019 um, and he decreased his penalties uh, down to only three. And I think that when, when I was, you know, when, when you look at, offensive linemen one of the big things to look at is how many penalties they they got because when you're an offensive lineman when do you get a holding penalty well it's typically when you get b right Mm -hmm. so holding penalties although i I didn't break it down by holding penalties but uh, holding penalties is a huge indication that you're not able to shuffle your feet well you're not quick enough to um stay with the uh the edge rushers. And then, so what do you got to do? You got to hold the Jersey. You got to try to tackle. Yep. Um, so that's a big indication that I looked at when I was forming my offensive line. Um, but remind me who, who is your left tackle? Ronnie Stanley, Ronnie Stanley. All right. Tell me a little bit about how you selected him over some other. So like, for example, my left tackle was Tyrone Smith. How did you select Ronnie Stanley over some of the other great left tackles in the league? Well, in this case, I'm, I'm going with youth and I'm going with, um, versatility and and scheme fit. I think Ronnie Stanley playing for that Baltimore Ravens team where um, they, they do a lot of running. um, So a lot of run blocking, but playing that left tackle position, you still do have to be a elite pass protector. Um, He's one of the highest rated tackles in the league um, by, you know, several different metrics, pro football focus, people like that. Um, Mm -hmm. So Tyrone Smith is the obvious, to me, the obvious choice. I would have said him probably for the last five years. Um, but I, you know, I think we kind of flipped roles on on this one specifically where I don't believe that I can trust him to be healthy for 80% of the snaps in a game, much less 80% <laughs> of the games in a year. It's mm-hmm. He is a monster of a man. But, you know, he's, he's one of those that just seems to always have something ailing him. 
that's not mm-hmm. letting him play at his peak. And it's really sad because he, I mean, physically he could have been the best offensive lineman to ever play the game. Um, I'm not sure we've ever seen someone that, that looks like him, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, injury is probably my main concern with him. I think that's taken a toll and I, he's on the downside of his career in my eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you make some really good points and I think the Ravens have uh, been blessed with a lot of fantastic talent go- ranging back from Jonathan Ogden to, um, to Marshall Leanda to now to um, Ronnie Stanley. And if he can stay healthy, he'd be a game changer. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to take the time, you know, not just to talk about Joe Tooney's ability to add a friend on Lincoln before the Super Bowl, but <laughs> uh, you know, I was, when I was doing my research for the show, it I, there, he has some mind boggling statistics. And I think when you think about, offensive lineman you would typically put joe tooney in like the upper echelon but no one would think like uh maybe one maybe like the best um offensive or maybe the the best right tackle in the league uh or excuse me not tackle um joe tooney is a let's see i'm so sorry mitchell schwartz is my right tackle so tooney more or less plays i believe it is um guard for the Patriots right um yeah so he would be okay gotcha gotcha sorry I had my um my wires crossed but he would be on opposite side of Quentin Nelson um but Joe Tooney has just been fantastic Uh, I'm getting my statistics from uh let's see here we go athlonsports.com who has a fantastic article uh titled NFL offensive lineman rankings for 2020 so not a very popular article title, probably. So if you want to <laughs> check that out, feel free to. But it says that um, out of since 2018, Joe Tooney has almost uh, he's almost taken 1,500 passing block snaps, 1,497 to be exact. And out of those 1,500 uh, snaps, he allowed just one sack. So that is wow. just like I mean that's phenomenal. Um, and he has, you know, that's statistic alone uh, shows. And I think that I, I believe the Patriots um, offensive uh, line coach, oh man, the name Dante Scarnecchio, something yep, like yep. that, right? He is no, I think he, he's no longer with the team, right. I believe. So it'll be interesting to see if Tooney can keep up that production. You know, he's a fantastic offensive line coach, um, but him, uh, having that statistic and just being like a really good player all around. Um, he's, you know, he's a really, really uh, intellectual player as well. So, and he, he didn't have a single penalty last year, which to me shows that he knows how to move his feet. He knows how to keep people away from his quarterback. And I think the statistics show um, can, can uh, back that up as well. That's impressive. And countering that, you know, I went with Zach Martin, uh, right guard for the Dallas Cowboys, and my argument against oh with Martin over Tooney is that you know Martin's been recognized as a top lineman for for many years. He's had consistently excellent play um, as part of one of the best offensive lines in football over the past um, several years, and while. Tooney has the benefit of a world-class offensive line coach and 
arguably one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time behind him who knows mm-hmm. how to get the ball out. Um, Zach Martin has not played with that. He's been working under the offensive uh, mind of Jason Garrett, who's, you know, just not been uh, not a, not a super hot name right now. Yeah. And um, with quarterback Dak Prescott and Tony Romo, neither of which are known for, you know, getting the ball out of their hands when they should, you know, mm-hmm. both of them are guys that try to extend plays um, both of them are guys that probably take sacks that they shouldn't. And, um, you know, again, with the scheme fit, I I want a, a right side of my offensive line. Um, honestly, I want all of my offensive linemen to be um, road graders, to be maulers um, that can hold their own in pass protection. And that's that's what you get with Zach Martin. Yeah, definitely. Well, he's part of that tremendous Cowboys line that uh, has been blocking for, for Zeke. So I think you can't go wrong, as I exemplify by putting Zeke to my on my ultimate team, because it, that was largely a result of his fantastic offensive line, as most uh, good running backs uh, have. So, you know, I think that these ultimate teams are fantastic. I would be very interested to see what our teams would be at the end of the season as well. So maybe I'll yeah. make a note that we can do this at the end of the season. Um, we spoke offense this week. Next week, I'm really excited to get into defense because I really think there will be a lot more variance between uh, between our two teams, and that will foster a lot of great dialogue and perhaps debate, dare I say. Probably so. That will definitely be interesting um, ben, before we go and before I let a, let you close us out, two things. First and foremost, wish me luck this week in fantasy as I in one league I will be playing against the London Silly Nannies. Okay. Um, so they're a tough squad and we're hoping to come out with the dub. And um, unfortunately this weekend on a second note, I was um, unsuccessful at beating a coworker in bowling and therefore lost a bet and have to give him a shout out. Um, Thomas Sladen, congratulations. <laughs> While you never even cracked 150 points in bowling, uh, you did beat me in the game with said bet. Therefore, here is said shout out. Congratulations, Thomas. I love it. Well, I think I will need a fantasy um, football wishes as well because i'm going against i believe your wife this weekend uh in fantasy so taking will, taking on the lazy house cats are you i am yeah so she's got my home so we'll we'll see what happens with that anything could happen oh and before we go i gotta tell you i texted you and said i have a funny story i gotta tell you on the podcast so that's right i'll end with this uh game seven um what was it clippers um jazz Sorry, mm-hmm. not Jazz. Um, nuggets. Uh, Clippers Nuggets. Tuesday night. Super pumped for it. I get off work, uh, do some stuff, turn on the ESPN app, see the Clippers Nuggets um, logo up there, say, all right, game's on. I click it. I watch you know, a good amount of it, fall asleep, wake up. It's still on. Do some stuff, but like, you know, keeping an eye on it. And then, I, and then they keep saying, well... If the Nuggets win now, then they'll they'll force a game seven. 
And then I'm like, <laughs> wait. And I'm like, this isn't – I'm like, I, am I going crazy? I really thought there was a game seven. I was like, all right, maybe I, I'm, I mixed it up. And then I hear the post-game interview with Nikola Jokic, and he says the same exact thing in his interview. He says something like, oh, there's no pressure on us. All the pressure's on them. And that I've heard running through ESPN Airways like the entirety of the day. And I'm like, what in the world? So I more or less watched a oh. large part of Game 6 while I was thinking I was watching Game 7. And then oh, I realized Game 7 is on later that night. I was watching a replay of Game 6. Um, so, <laughs> But it was actually a little bit more entertaining than watching Game 7 because that was kind of a blowout by the Nuggets. So, But anyways, I will pay more attention to what is the replay and what is actually live TV next time. <laughs> Ben Cobb looking at uh, rankings from 2015 and watching reruns of Game Six. That's what I. There that's we what go. I do. Detail is not my strong suit, Logan. All right. <laughs> if you want to follow us on social media, you can do so. We are on Twitter at the Going for Two underscore Podcast. You can check us out on Instagram at Going for Two underscore Pod, or send us an email via Gmail. That's at Going for Two Pod one nine at Gmail dot com. Listeners, we see that you're listening. We see our accounts throughout the week and i'm always wondering who's listening who are these people on the other side of these numbers are they on mars are they in india are they in america where are they who are they let us know at reach out at least at least one of them is in india according to the stats according to the stats and we're all about stats on this show so if you are one of our listeners reach out let us know who you are interact with us send us a message to say hey I'm, i've been listening to the podcast we would love to know who our audience is and interact with you But until next time, Logan, it's been real. Tried to hold back a sneeze. Can you please put that in the episode somehow? <laughs> <laughs> uh.